Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Tony Kinnickcast on 93 WIBC. I'm Tony Kinnett, joined this evening by Joel Berry, the managing editor for the Babylon Bee, a satirical news publication that causes a fair amount of trouble. You've probably seen their headlines on Facebook, Twitter, or whatever social media that you're on, MySpace, I don't know. There's a lot of fantastic headlines that have given the people over at Snopes a headache, and that is a little bit about what we are talking about today. Joel, thanks for hopping on with us. How's it going, man? It's going good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So Matt Walsh, which is how many great stories start. Matt Walsh (laughs) tweeted out that uh, slavery is world history and that white people didn't invent it and they weren't the first to practice it, but they were the first to abolish it. And then he pointed out the last uh, place in the world that was legal um, for slavery was Africa and that it wasn't abolished until 1981. And this irked one of the guys that considers himself a scholar of critical race theory and DEI, <laughs> Ibram X. Kendi. And he called this the ultimate white savior statement. Ibram guess, X. Um, you mean you mean Henry Rogers? Is that who you're talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Henry Rogers, you know, the guy who wrote such classics as Anti-Racist Baby, um, which I guess I didn't realize how insane that book was <laughs> until I had kids. And I'm like reading them books. They have no idea what's going on because, you know, they're under the age of two. Uh-huh. I can't even imagine going now decolonization in the 1800s began with that's ridiculous. <laughs> so anywho, you like many of us out there on the internet decided to throw in a little bit of sass. You said, call it what you want, but it's a hundred percent true. And this, this absolutely set old Henry Rogers off. <laughs> and he got mad at you and said, if you believe this to be 100% true, then that means you believe black people contributed little to the abolition of slavery, which I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not really even sure what that means. Um, (laughs) I'm just, I'm not really sure. And then he says that since you're so stuck on white saviors, you may want to save yourself from ignorance, which is another one that I, again, I don't, (laughs) I've studied critical race theory at the graduate level for like eight or nine years now. And I have no idea what he's trying to say there. Can you help me out? I don't think he knows what he's trying to say uh, either. (laughs) It really is just, I mean, um, it's sad because, I mean, here's a guy, I mean, we make fun of his name because his real name is Henry Rogers. He's like an upper middle class, private school educated kid that like got this African name, became this activist. He got fired from his his college newspaper because he wrote an op-ed saying that white people invented AIDS to, to genocide, uh, black people. Um, and so he's, he's, he's kind of always been this guy. He's, he's a bit of an ignoramus. And, and the, the sad thing to me is the fact that he's kind of, he's been elevated to this position really by white people, by white liberals to, Mm -hmm. to act as kind of this spokesman, this, this anti-racist spokesman, um, you know, at the cost of, of, uh, elevating, you know, black Americans who actually deserve to be elevated, people like Thomas Sowell and Clarice Thomas, people who are actually smart and know a few things. Um, instead, they lift up this guy. And so, yeah, I, um, I it, it kind of what, what he said kind of prompted a response from me because I, I had looked into this for myself a few years ago. I was doing some research for some other writing I was doing and and I was shocked. I mean, I, I, I grew up, I was homeschooled for a while. I went to Christian school for a while. And even as like a 
evangelical Christian school kid, I had not learned um, the true history of of America's abolition of slavery and and how mm. it went down. Um, we're kind of all taught that you know slavery is in our DNA. We were founded on slavery, um, and and come to find out. Uh, the the colonies were trying to ban slavery before we even declared independence. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they were trying to do this. King George was shutting them down. That was actually one of the reasons we declared independence was so that we could so states would have the ability to to ban slavery. And, and Vermont was the first uh, territory to ban it just a year after the Declaration of Independence was signed. Pennsylvania came along a year later. Um, by the time Great Britain banned slavery, I think all of the northern states had already banned it. You know, Great Britain kind of gets credit for being the first country to ban slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, some people say uh, Haiti, while it was a French colony, that when the French banned slavery. But really, it was the it was the American states who did it first. They they were the leaders of the world. I, I think the rest of the world kind of got swept up in this revolution and, and followed the the leadership of of the founders of America, who were abolitionists at heart. Absolutely. And, um, and that's a history that's just not known. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating it that more people don't it, know it. Dude, it absolutely it grinds my gears, to quote the great <laughs> scholar Peter Griffin. Honestly, though, um, well, just to, to take a moment, we're on with Joel Berry from the Babylon Bee, uh, talking a little bit about, again, some of the, the goofiness that comes up when we start talking about history, education regarding the abolition of slavery. Because, again, you and I grew up both, you know, grew up in Indiana. And we're often taught that the entire country was founded on slavery and that the United States had to be dragged kicking and screaming away from it, when in reality, half of the country had moved on voluntarily even before Great Britain. And mm-hmm. it wasn't just that, you know, suddenly the northern states one day decided that they were going to abolish slavery, like just they woke up and just inspiration struck. The <laughs> northern Protestant denominations drove. And I don't just mean that they kind of softly advocated for it, kind of like a lot of modern Protestant denominations do in regard to like pro-life issues. But I mean, Mm -hmm. they drove this issue for decades and decades. And Northern and Independent Baptists, Methodists, uh, not to mention the earlier Presbyterians, Lutherans, they were so aggressively anti-slavery that Mm -hmm. when the Civil War began, you had like entire regiments that were just founded of like Bible thumping Protestants from the North who were eager to go fight for slavery. And may I mention some of the first lobbyists in the country were religious leaders from Northern Protestants who tried to lobby the president of the United States during the civil war to make it about slavery. We don't, Mm -hmm. we never talk about that. We we never talk about it. it. It's like it is a history that's been erased. Is the the great Christian movement uh, to abolish slavery, not just here but in Europe too. It was it was a mm-hmm. Christian movement. It was mostly a Methodist movement in Europe, um, and the you know we, we always hear the the drumbeat that is constantly out there in the culture, in our entertainment, in our academia, is that. Um, Christians use the Bible to justify slavery. Well, okay, right. the Bible has been used to justify every atrocity by evil people for thousands of years. I mean, they're using leftists are using the Bible to justify abortion and transing kids now. So nothing is the most powerful book in history. Of course, people are going to try to manipulate it to do stupid things. Exactly. But there's no denying that, that the abolitionist movement was at its core, a Christian movement. And, uh, and it really, it's, it's been completely, it's been completely erased. Um, you know, and people like Kendi should know better. He, he was raised a Christian, um, and for him to kind of reject the the very foundations, the the very worldview that 
that led to the the freedom of of millions around the world to begin with is is just crazy. But it's strangely fitting though, because and this is one of the the groups that that the Babylon Bee likes to pick on the most are these ex evangelicals. There's no <laughs> one as bitter as and look. You went to a Christian school. I went to a Christian school in high school. You and I both know how bitter some people are who grew up around Christians and grew up in the faith and yeah. then left it. I mean, the, mm -hmm. it's so palpable and it, it frustrates me because it's it's so unnecessary. I mean, again, the majority of atheists that I've met are not even as militant as ex-evangelicals tend to be about these kinds oh, yeah. of things. So one of the questions that a lot of people have, and I run a satire page on Twitter called the Ministry of Truth. It's People have asked me if it's some kind of a secret um, literally the Fox news article talking about the account lists my name in the first paragraph. So as far I love as the ministry of truth, I remember, I remember when it blew up, you, it was, it was you and the Babylon B going after the, the, uh, what do they call it? The disinformation governance board. Yeah. And actually the, uh, the seal that I have here next to it is made by the company who makes the, uh, the TSA plaques that they have at the airport. <laughs> Oh, that's and I wonderful. was like, I want one of those. And so the, the <laughs> owner messaged me and is like, we'll make you one. And like, that's one of my favorite things. It's well, and you know, I, I, th I give the two of us credit for, for making them uh, back off on that. I think, I think we, we <laughs> were the ones that did it. <laughs> I, I think so. And it, it, there, there's nothing better than knowing that. I think again, you and I are two of the people that have made Brian Stelter cry on national television. <laughs> and that is, that is a badge of honor that I will take with me to judgment day. To, but to be fair, it doesn't take much to make Brian Stelter cry. <laughs> no, I, now you're going to make me feel bad. I, however, will not cry. So uh, the question that I've always had, and this is this is something that there's repeatedly that, that I get asked. First of all, I get asked if the page is owned by the Babylon Bee. Um, but the second thing that I get asked is, is how I come up with the tweets, like how I come up with the satire. And I am very honest that that kind of sarcasm comes from obviously some of the comedians I watch, but I do model a lot of some of the breaking breaking news stories off of the Babylon Bee, which begs the question that a lot of people have asked over the years, but maybe haven't. Uh, stumbled upon the Babylon B podcasts and videos. How do you guys actually come up with your headlines? <laughs> um, well, it's really, I mean, I, I have uh, like eight or nine uh, part-time writers that I manage. I write a lot of the satire. Kyle Mann and our editor-in-chief writes a lot of it. Um, and we're, I mean, we're just kind of... Um, we're a bunch of awkward, uh, slightly autistic people that that are really good at making connections between... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Between things that, that most people don't see, I think. Uh, is this slightly autistic is just the, the <laughs> way that we're describing ADHD now? Like everyone I think so. started yeah. diagnosing ADHD. <laughs> so then those of us with actual ADHD were now all called slightly autistic. I've seen this on Instagram. Like the entire shift has happened. I think so. I don't know if anyone knows what autism really means anymore. As everyone no. is autistic, <laughs> everyone's yeah, on the spectrum. We, we did it, everyone. It's, <laughs> it's like it's like uh, somehow 4chan blew up and just like corrupted us all. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, th I think a lot of us have. I mean, we we have a big bank of of things to draw from 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 our lives, from kind of the the funniness of of the evangelical and Christian worlds. Um, we're you know we're spending a lot of time in the news. Um, and, and just kind of finding a, a funny spin on things. Um, Creativity is a weird thing, and it, it's hard to pin down exactly how it works. It's almost like this river that you kind of 
that you kind of dip your hand in and sometimes you pull something out, sometimes you can't. Mm. Um, uh, but for us, in order to come up with the headlines that we come up with, it's, it's a numbers game. I mean, it's, it's like the more shots on goal you, you take, the more likely you are to strike gold. So, I mean, for every headline we're publishing, there's probably almost a hundred headlines that are being pitched in our, our little, our writer's channel that never see the light of day. So, um, and we're riffing off each other and, and kind of tweaking things. Sometimes the difference between a, a bad joke and a good joke is just, changing a word here and there. Uh, one thing oh, that I, I can't, see, I can't yeah, tell like, you how many times I have, I've written out like the tweet and I'm like, Oh, I, I'm, I'm going to get them. So I, I had a tweet, uh, that was making fun of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And I said that she had, what was it? What was the, the phrasing that because of the Texas situation, she had called for a boycott of Texas roadhouse. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was originally, good. originally the idea was, uh, I was going to, call I like I originally was going to frame the the tweet for for Governor Abbott and it's just like one just one slight tweak of the headline and it's perfect and it goes and you ever just send out the headline and you're like this one's going to do some numbers like there's uh-huh. something about this satirical headline is going to have like social media statements this isn't true yep. I mean how many times <laughs> have you guys been fact checked by Snopes at this point um I I, I want to say over 20 probably uh, <laughs> a lot <laughs> and like very recently too, we had one, I forget, gosh, I wish I could remember what it was, but we had one like a month ago. Like they're still doing this. I don't know who's getting paid it. to do it, but it's, it's really funny. I, I mean, it, there is kind of a, a nefarious intent behind it too. Cause it, you know, Facebook has this thing called the news ecosystem quality score and all these fact mm. checks get fed back into their news ecosystem algorithm. And that's what they use to, to suppress our traffic. So like, I think, I think there's probably someone out there like, with their eye on the B and when our traffic starts to get too good, they're like, okay, we need, we need another fact check. <laughs> you know, so they'll, they'll, they'll commission one of these ridiculous fact checks and feed it back into the algorithm. Well, that's one of the questions that I actually had for you coming up into to 2020. And I think that this is, this was, someone explained this to me. I was invited to a, a kind of a, a political, a political organizational call, not with the heritage foundation, but with another organization that was, that was a little more involved in the, this, particular spheres for social media. And they asked me to give kind of like a short presentation on like social media algorithms and like really driving posts home. And I was confused. I was like, well, why do you guys want me to do it? My personal Twitter account, um, so I've got less than 30,000 and mm-hmm. but the ministry of truth to me seemed kind of like a, a fluke. It was the right idea at the right time mixed with a little bit of Photoshop. And they said, because satirical accounts know what people are going to find interesting. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's, that's something else. So there's something whenever we talk about like social media censorship, I have, I've got a hunch. It's a working theory. Now, look, it's not going to get published at Harvard, although I'm sure Claudine Gay can copy my work whenever (laughs) she feels like it. What do you see coming into 2024, given that the assumption that satirical pages, accounts, and people that mess with them understand algorithmic censorship a little bit more do you see Facebook putting kind of a heavier hand into the 2024 situation as a whole, as much as they did last time, or are they nervous about being caught? I mean, I, I, I'm just kind of curious. My domain's more Twitter, yeah. So I'm curious with the whole Meta verse, no pun intended. Yeah. No, I I think that they probably will. Um, you know, what Elon did for Twitter was was phenomenal. What he exposed. Um, that stuff is happening tenfold at Meta slash Facebook, um, and and they they have 
left behind the more direct attacks. So, I mean, their initial attack against the B was their partnership with Snopes. Um, if, if someone got fact-checked, they would get a warning. And if they got another fact-checked, then they'd get deplatformed altogether. So we've got this warning letter. And, and we made fun of Snopes and Facebook so bad that they ended up you know, dissolving their partnership and, and kind of leaving those direct attacks behind. And so they started doing it with the algorithm. And, and the first algorithmic suppression we, we encountered was after Trump shared one of our articles for the first time. This was in October before the, the 2020 election. Right. He shared, he shared one of our articles. I, I mean, like four or five days later, our traffic just, I mean, it tanked and it never quite recovered. Someone somewhere pressed a button. Um, and, you know, it's, it's weird because we, you know, there's, there's no real accountability. There's no transparency. There's no way to really tell what they're doing and how they're doing it. Right. Um, I mean, you're and, not the only, you guys aren't the only accounts that have, have noticed. I mean, even over on the Twitter verse, <laughs> I've noticed there was, there was a week in October of this last year in 23. Uh, and I think I reached out, I may have reached out to Morgan about it. I don't quite remember. Uh, but you guys had, you had this week where you were getting, 10,000, 20,000 likes per tweet. It's a really good week for traffic. And then the next week, it was like in the hundreds and the low thousands of yep. likes. And it was just yep. the engagement just flatlined. And it was on all of these like accounts that kind of lean right, but it just so happens that the humor usually just tends that way. Uh -huh. And I guess the kind of question that I have for you uh, on, uh, since that's a podcaster way to say that, here's the question that's popped into my head. Have you noticed that making fun of these companies works better than a congressional hearing in getting things fixed? Yes, absolutely. Like I think congressional hearings almost make it worse. Someone hauls Mark Zuckerberg yeah. <laughs> in and he's got like his lizard tongue darting in and out between his teeth. <laughs> and Senator Oldsmobile asks a question about like if the Internet's made out of tubes and then Mark goes, oh, 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 oh. How like do I get Kermit my, can you tell me how to get my throat. printer to work? You know, why is my <laughs> PDF? Yeah. Are you um, the one trying to make me update Flash Player? <laughs> yeah. How do I yeah. email strong bad? <laughs> no, it's it's true. I, I mean, I laugh at these congressional hearings because they really are so ineffective. And it's so so obvious that they're they're just trying to get sound bites. It's all about raising donations. They send their little sound bites out to their their you know, their donors, Hey, look, I just own Zuckerberg, you know, send money. And that's really it. That, that doesn't accomplish anything. Um, ridicule is, I mean, in, and this isn't something the B did intentionally, like that we were thinking this way necessarily. Mm -hmm. We didn't go in saying like, we want to change the culture. We want to, uh, change politics. Uh, we just wanted to write funny stuff. Um, yeah. but Saul Alinsky says that ridicule is the most potent weapon. Um, you know, that's a, like getting a, all a, philosophical. Oh, that we're, we're talking about rules for radicals here. You know, that the, the, the B has kind of turned around and is now using against the left very effectively. And not just the B. I mean, you, um, other people on the right. I mean, we're the we're the, the, the fun kids now. You're like we're 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 kind of facing these stodgy, you know, uh, sanctimonious, self-righteous kind of church ladies uh, on the left. And, and, uh, the right is just having a blast making fun of them. And it really is, it really is very effective. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that the left took from the right, but I feel like this is one of the things that the right took from the left because you used to have, again, I think the reason that the, the millennials, I'm not talking about Z or I alpha beyond them. I think one of the reason the millennials went from the generation X of liking or not liking Republicans to a lot of millennials just think that Republicans are stupid and are silly 
and should be made fun of for every decision is because of like the onion and um, some of the SNL. Early, again, SNL um, yeah. whose line is it anyway? Although the original whose line is it anyway was fantastic. Um, oh, yeah. That stuff all aside, now you guys, and I, I would consider myself in a lower tier for sure. A, a lot of those of us that have like this internet comedy thing going, we've taken it back because now the left like refuses to make fun of so many different things because it's holy and sanctimonious. And mm-hmm. the worst things that we get slapped with is that, oh, it's too soon for that joke. You can't, <laughs> you can't make fun of that. And I, I, I point this out every time. Satire is not supposed to make you comfortable. Right. I mean, there, there's an element of humor to it, but uh, what was it? Um, the, the proposition on eating kids. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jonathan Swift. Uh, a modest proposal. A modest proposal. Yeah, that's right. You said the name. It reminded me. Um, Classic. Yeah. English, English, uh, Christian school, high school teachers for the win there. <laughs> it's just one of those things. It's, it's necessary work. And it le- of all the things to take back from the left, I gotta be, I gotta tell you, mm-hmm. I'm thankful that we took that one back. Good heavens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and just speaking personally, it's, it's, uh, it's made me a happier person. I'm having a lot oh, yeah. more fun. You know, I, I, I remember a time when I would look at the news and wring my hands and just be like, Oh my gosh, I'd have a dark cloud over me. Like we're losing our country. We're <laughs> losing our culture. What's going to happen? And that still might be happening, but <laughs> where, you know, when you, when you kind of change your mindset to where you're looking at the world around you and looking for the funny in it and the hypocrisy, um, it really is funny. I, I love listening to Andrew Clavin. Uh, he talks about yeah. kind of ha- adopting this tragic view of life and, and the idea that corruption really is funny. I mean, it's if it weren't for the human cost and tragedy that's often associated with it, it really would be funny. It's like a well-dressed man in a suit slipping on a banana peel. And um, and so it, it is kind of fun to, to, to just laugh at the world. Hold on to that hope we have. You know, we're Christians. We know that, that uh, Jesus is on the throne. We know who wins in the end. And, uh, and regardless of how the battle ends in the short term, we can... Um, we can know that uh, things turn out pretty well in the long term. So have fun in the meantime. And if anything else, I mean, the uh, the DMs that you get from people who think that <laughs> the story is real is just in- <laughs> incredible. I, I've been scared I, and I've, I've kept you on way too long and I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean oh, to no problem. It, get carried away with this kind of thing. I got a message from a uh, an individual. So I sent out a tweet saying that like tens of thousands of volunteers were heading down to the Texas border, like whistling Dixie. And (laughs) there were people that messaged me asking me where they could go to join a group heading down. And I was like, Oh oh no. Oh no. (laughs) It's like, uh, ah, Um, and I'm sure you guys have had those moments too. The last thing I'll kind of hit you with here. I have been able to get people that I never thought would have been broken out of, of their shell as like fans of the page. Um, so a few of those being, um, I, I've heard, again, a couple of senators, Mike Pence, uh, binging with Babish, Andrew Rea, I guess, was yeah. at one time kind of a fan of the page. Has the Babylon Bee had any like hidden fans that you guys weren't expecting to just yeah. like, kind of a weird question, just out of nowheres? Yeah, um, we've had a few people, um, and I can't, I wish I could mention their names, but I can't, um, a few big A-listers in Hollywood that have reached out to us privately and and said like, you know, I'm a, I, I love what you guys do. And that they, they could never go public about it because their careers would, 
would, would suffer. be you know burnt down in a yeah in an absolutely yeah. unholy flame. But there, I guess that's I, kind of really an unfair. Is. There's a question. lot of secret fans out there. I I mean not just in Hollywood, uh, you know politics. We a lot in the church world. I mean, um, I hear a lot from pastors who, and, and this is this is a tragedy too. You know, they they say I love your stuff. I love what you have to say. I'm too scared to say it from the pulpit myself, but I really mm. love <laughs> which, but pastors, you know, uh, sharing, you know, kind of privately, uh, our headlines with each other. There's a lot of underground Babylon B headline sharing out there that you don't see online. I think I was going to say, that's like my brother-in-law is not even on like social media and he sends me, he's like, did you see this? And it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I still can't resist commenting on Facebook, even though I know it's going to get weirdos clicking on my personal profile. I just can't help commenting on it. There's so much so it's much hard. fun to rile the old Karens who believe it's true. But <laughs> either way, Joel Berry, Managing Editor for the Babylon Bee. Thank you so much for hopping on, man. And uh, really appreciate your taking a little extra time with us. Yeah, yes. No problem. Thanks for having me. This is the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC.